Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Jarrell Mason, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me, I have no stranger to the podcast, previous guests, been with this man since our days at UNCG at the radio station WAG. Back once again, my man, Craig Veltry. Craig, thank you for coming back on, bro. A pleasure and a privilege as always to be in your company, J. Mace. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. I uh, guess we're doing better today than the Team U.S. because as of the recording of this podcast, <laughs> Team USA just got knocked out of the World Cup by the Netherlands 3-1 in the round of 16. So unless the best and the brightest athletes decide to go in soccer, we'll keep having the same result every four years. But I know in the next World Cup, which will be in 2026, they're going to expand the qualifying pool to, I believe, 48 teams. Mm. So that means more countries will get a chance to qualify. And unless we get the corruption out of FIFA, then it's going to be a lot of palms being greased, backroom deals being made. Go check out FIFA Uncovered on Netflix if you have not done so. It's definitely worth a watch. I will say that, you know, progress, not perfection when it comes to United States as far as our soccer program for many, many years, probably since the beginning of the World Cup, keep in mind, the United States were basically a non-factor as a team. And it really hasn't been until recently with, uh, with you know, the rise of Landon Donovan and the run that they had in Brazil several years ago, um, even going further back to uh to the 2010 world cup they they made a pretty deep run if i remember correctly i'm I'm not a soccer head so don't uh don't at me ladies and gentlemen but they you know it it, it, the fact that they're getting this far it's showing that there is interest in this country and you know anytime the you know america one thing that uh, we're always uh good about you can call us fair weather but we like winners so the fact that they're getting closer and closer to it it is uh, it is a it's a good thing because I think more diversity of sports in the marketplace is a good thing. Am I a fan of soccer? No, but I understand that it has uh, it has its popularity, it has its pull, and if we are doing well on the international stage, it's it's always a good thing to have your name in the hat. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I believe in 2026 it's going to be split amongst three countries: the U.S., Mexico, and Canada for hosting the World Cup. So that's going to be very interesting, given that. And then also, like I stated earlier, they're going to expand the qualifying pool to, I believe, 48 teams. So hopefully Team USA can make another deep run in four years when they host the World Cup again. Now, that I think is a bit of a uh, a mistake. I think any time expansion happens in a playoff, I think the quality of the playoff tends to go down. Consider the World Series this year. The Philadelphia Phillies were the as far as record were concerned, were the 11th best team in baseball. And yeah, they were able to clip two on the best, easily the best team in baseball, the Houston Astros, say what you will about what happened a couple of years ago in the World Series, but they they have built themselves into a, into a juggernaut and the outcome was inevitable. So I think when you when you add powder puff teams into into anything, it's just gonna, it's, it's just product for the sake of the product. And it's not, I, I don't think that uh, expansion to, you know, 64 teams in, in, in NCAA, that's a good number or anything for 68 at this point. I think that's a good, good system that they have. I, but I think, you know, doing, but doing that, I don't think it, uh, you know, there's always the chance for the upset and really that's only good for, uh, for booking, uh, 
agencies and uh, and bookies rather. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I don't I, I don't I don't think it, it, that's going to be a good thing for it. But hey, may, maybe it'll give the the U.S. an upper hand. We'll see. Right. And speaking of upsets, last night Utah dashed the hopes of the USC Trojans of going to the college football playoff, really? beating the, the Pac-12 championship. So somewhere, Brutus the Buckeye in Ohio State is saying thank you, Utah, because that. <laughs> They'll get into the fourth spot. And speaking of expansion, the college football playoff will expand to 12 teams two years earlier than expected in 2024. The Rose Bowl was the lone holdout, but he finally caved in and said, we're going to join the expansion. So how this will work, it'll be where it'll be the top 12 teams in the playoff, top four seeds get buys, and then the high seed will host a playoff game and then it will rotate amongst the new year six bowls for semifinal games and then a standalone championship game a week later. It was always a mess with college football, the way the bowl system always worked out. So the fact that they are incorporating the bowls, managing to keep these bids and cause you know, the cities that, that host these bowls, you know, your Orlando's your uh, even Charlotte and uh, other uh, you know, Gainesville, Florida, you know, actually, no, uh, yeah, 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 the uh, the name of Florida City and any that get those, the Citrus Bowl, the Gator Bowl, what have you, they the fact that they're going to get uh, a nod on this and they're not breaking it down, it, I think, I think it's a, I mean, it was a flawed system to begin with. They should have had a playoff from the start, but too little, too late. And you know, advertising in this country has always had had an uh, had an unjust and unfair pool in this country, and that's kind of how the bowl system and the ranking system really started. But the fact with that expansion, I think, I think I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll make an, ex- I can make an exception on it, and it's, uh, you know, as a. You know, it's it's as a fan of college football, and I'm not surprised that USC got upended by by Utah. Utah was always uh, always low key, one of the one of the best teams in the country. And you know, anytime you have, uh, I mean, we saw what happened with uh, UCLA with UCLA USC, and and how how they get offended if you get the, get these teams, if you manage to just get at least whoever has the ball less lot left against this team. Lincoln Riley teams, especially, you will probably wind up beating this, beating that team. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong. If that's what happened, I didn't watch the game, but it, you know, I, you know, I, I really, I really like their quarterback. I do think he has a good uh, bid for the uh, for the Heisman, and I think that uh, you know, it, it, I mean, I love college football. I'm a I'm a Pitt fan for uh, for hail to pit till I die. And it, it, it's always, it's always fun to watch. Cause you know, even in college football, more than any, you know, there's always that unknown just because of the nature of the game and recruiting and players graduate and don't have as long careers as the pros do, you know, that, that for me is always that there's, there's not much purity in anything in the world, but I think college football is probably the, probably the most uh, pure as far as anything can happen. Right, and to quote uh, Matt Rule, at the end of the day, uh, now coaching at Nebraska, we wish him well at Nebraska, and I'm sure David Tepper's happy that Nebraska picked up the tab for what he owed him after giving him the Charlotte oh, yeah. Poe. So uh, enough of the sports talk. Let's jump right into music. Um, let's talk about the important connection between music and how – down south, we call it wrestling. Because I don't wrestling. know if you happen to catch the show uh, "Tales from the Territories" 
on Vice, which is a very great show. Talks about the different territories of wrestling before Vince McMahon came and gobbled them up and made the WWE a national brand. I am a huge fan of uh, the, the gentlemen who produce that show. They are also responsible. I can't remember Evan Husney and uh, I can't remember the other dude's name, but they are Canadian producers uh, who have gotten involved with Vice TV and they also produce another great show sim in a similar vein called Dark Side of the Ring, which I am a huge fan. I've watched every episode. I've not gotten around to watching all of the uh, uh, territories. I've been just so busy on my side getting a music video out. My last single uh, dropped. I've been planning a tour around the nation, so I really haven't had time to sit down and watch anything. Hence my lack of. I mean, I used to watch every college game that I, that I could could ever possibly watch. Now I'm now I'm just uh, constantly on the run, and I don't even have time really to check my phone for that. But as far as uh, the uh, uh, wrestling in the territories podcast uh, documentary series, rather, yeah, that is. I, I always have enjoyed listening to uh, Jim Cornette, who is uh, who is a wrestling manager. I would argue between him, Bobby Heenan, and Paul Heyman, the greatest wrestling managers to have ever done the gimmick. And he has his own podcast. He has two podcasts: uh, uh, Jim Cornette Experience and Jim Cornette's Drive Through, which I I do. I didn't. I used to listen to all the episodes, but now I just kind of catch the clips when I get a chance. And Hearing him tell stories, a lot of a lot of the stories that are on this uh, the territory thing, and especially about uh, the music that that got involved. Music in professional wrestling is is really kind of a a new thing, and it was a rarity uh, back in back in the territory days. Really, the only people who had entrance themes was Gorgeous George back in the fifties. I think he used to come into uh, I want to say it was a. Uh, pomp and circumstance uh it was the same it was the same thing that uh, randy savage used to uh, come to the ring to and it, it is a great atmosphere anytime you can accentuate anything or make it seem bigger wrestling thrives on it so it uh, so you know even if i was unironic ironically bopping to a bad streak USA by the fabulous Freebirds yesterday. It, you know, the, you know, it, the being in as an announcer and as a, as a fan of professional wrestling, anytime I watch shows like that, it, it, it brings back, if I didn't live it, it, it brings back some perspective on what I watched. And when I watched the stuff that I did, it brings back some real fondness, real great nostalgia. Yeah. Cause I can remember back in around 85, right. When the first WrestleMania was getting off of the ground, Vince McMahon strategically got in bed with MTV to create the rock and wrestling connection with right. Cindy Lauper. Then you had her with Captain Lou Albano and just really the synergy of the new medium at the time, which was music video combined that with, the tradition of wrestling and became a match made in heaven. And then we later started to see other wrestling acts come out to the popular music of the day. I remember Nasty Boys coming out to Nasty by Janet Jackson, Coco yeah. Beware coming out to The Bird by Morris Day in the time. Rock and Roll Express coming Rock out to Roll Jump Express. by Van Halen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how the synergy between music and wrestling, it was really a, a match made in heaven for both because. The musicians saw sales increase because of MTV and the exposure on WWE. 
And then I'm sure Vince probably saw the spike in attendance because of the music being played. And once again, this was back in the days when wrestling, it was all about protecting the business and not breaking kayfabe. Kayfabe, mm -hmm. it was yeah. the art of keeping up with the act. You pretty much yeah. ate, slept, and breathed it 24-7. If you were a good guy, a babyface, or a bad guy, a heel, you yeah. wouldn't be seen together in public, which is why, for me, it's still weird to see The Undertaker be normal and do interviews because I was so used <laughs> to seeing him not break character for the 30-plus years that he was working in the WWE. It is wild to hear uh, hear him do cameos uh, to people that, and I'm quoting an actual cameo video that he did to uh, all elite Scooby Doo. Happy birthday! You know, it, it's it it is bizarre to see. Well, I mean, he did have the biker gimmick, which was more Mark Calloway than Taker, but it it you know it like I say, the bigger that you can do, and that's what kayfabe is all about. You know, you can if you can blur the line between reality people really aren't knowing because that's what really does get people in the door and people coming back to it yes it's larger than life personalities yes we do realize that this isn't a work but more and more you know there is a doubt maybe these two guys aren't really liking each other that's why i think there was such uh why there's such interest now with the uh, uh, and his acrimonious exit from AEW uh, with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. People, I think, want to see that see that return because these guys really don't like each other. Maybe we're actually going to really see some, you know, more action and, uh, you know, see more of a car crash, which, you know, I think when people kind of did have kind of doubts, everybody's known that, that wrestling isn't real. The, the business has been revealed time and again since the 50s. Uh, there have been exposés about it for a while. There was an expose ahead of WrestleMania 1 by 2020 that uh, that kind of exposed everything and kind of explained what Eddie Mansfield most famously showed on Stossel how to do a body slam. So it and, it, and he still want and there are still people in the business like Jim Cornette that want him not to breathe ever again because of it. But I it's funny you talk about WrestleMania and, and, and I get what you're asking about, you know, how, how music and wrestling blended, especially back then the MTV and WWE collaboration was right time, right time, right time, right place, right sensations. Cause this was 19, this was 1985 MTV was this, this new hot thing. And Vince McMahon was getting re ready to do his national expansion, which by the way, if it wasn't going to be Vince, it was going to be somebody else. The hatred against him for that. You can find a lot of different ways to be upset about Vince McMahon, but wrestling and overtaking territories, there was already overlap. People were already going in, going over territory lines with the advent of cable television you know oh 605 on, on on saturday night the mothership baby tbs for saturday for world championship wrestling with golden Soleil, baby and it you know it was going to it was going to go that way so mtv had the hot platform it was bright. 
if you watched a lot of those music videos back then, it was a lot of new wave. It was a lot of big hair, heavy metal and stuff and stuff like that. And even uh, and, and even the R&B acts, you know, with the with the Jerry curls and the, and the glitter jackets, you know, it was you know, it was very bright. It was very colored. It was very loud and not even and you didn't even have to turn your speakers up to make it loud. Wrestling was very much the same way at that time with Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and Roddy Piper running his mouth at that time. It was, it was the, it was, you know, they would say the match made in heaven when uh, Elizabeth and Randy Savage married on a pay-per-view a couple, a couple years afterwards, they built it the match made in heaven. They really were the match made in heaven. And it was, and it was, it was boon. I mean, I said it, I said it in a blog once uh, if about WrestleMania one, it would have been the same if Cindy Lauper, who should be in the WWE Hall of Fame, I think it, I would imagine with her, it's it's a matter of I don't want to I don't want to be involved in that anymore. But with her her name, that would have been like if Katy Perry or even Taylor Swift uh, somehow got involved with a, with wrestling at the time. They you know one of the if not the biggest female pop star at the time, and her name and her contribution to that angle uh her wendy richter mula them going up against roddy piper it was indeed a match not to be repetitive a match made in heaven and it is uh it, it we still talk about it today because it was so effective and so and even though mtv is not the power that that it used to be it still is it, it still is an incredible part and unheard of part of wrestling history because wrestling uses media all the time but they never really had used this kind of media and this is exclusivity before nothing not a local station not a sports related station because espn did exist at the time but no a music channel to promote you know a, a sports entertainment event as it was right let's talk about the importance of mtv because i believe for this current generation, the 2000s babies, they can't wrap their heads around. There was a time where the only time you got to see your favorite act was even when they were perform on a music show or performing at a concert. But you mean to tell me that they could put out a video to a song and I can literally sit and watch it 24 hours a day? Well, now I think more and more it's a matter of people have the option of what video to watch. Yes, MTV, uh, I used to be puzzled as it, it was starting to happen uh, when we were really starting to become, you know, teenagers and we started to become men, you know, MTV and VH1 too. I didn't watch much BET, but I'm, I'm assuming that was the case in CMT, all the music channels that played music or, you know, had you know music shows were doing less and less of them. And Daniel Tosh, the comedian, once pointed out, how is that legal to say you're MTV and you don't play mute your music television, you don't play music? Well, the the market changed. I was talking to a, to a friend of mine, uh, Sasha McVeigh. She's a country singer and she lives in Nashville. She's had songs played on CMT and the industry has changed right before our very eyes very quickly, you know. TikTok superstars and songs that are now written for that medium it, are becoming more and more prevalent on the charts. And it it's an you know, evolution and everything is inevitable and necessary. So the 
the fact that MTV and the way we used to watch uh, music videos, you know, every day after school, TRL, you know, Carson uh, would bring out bring out Britney and Limp Bizkit. I think I said on your show, it was probably the most eclectic cross section that anybody could have ever put on television. Maybe people who watch Top of the Pops over in England might like to disagree, and I'd be interesting to hear that argument. But for me, to hear a punk band followed by a boy group, followed by uh, a metal act, followed by uh, a rap act, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I think people wonder why so many playlists have an identity crisis if, if, if you really follow them. It's because, well, we were exposed to everything. And I wonder, and I... I don't want to say worry, but I wonder if that is going to that this trend of of TikTok is going to kind of really just keep people coming to the same and not exploring. You know that you know, but that the, again, not a not a. Yeah, you don't want to sound like old man yelling at cloud, and of course, we all know when MTV was created, it pretty much was the video form of AOR, I'm Oriented Rock, or Top 40 Radio, and there is an interview clip of David Bowie, rest in peace, um, when he was talking with Mark Goodman, and he was grilling him about the fact that MTV didn't really play a lot of Black artists at that Mm. time, and you know, I had a chance to interview Nina Blackwood, and I asked her about that, and she pretty much stated, you know, MTV was created as a model of AOR, a top 40, we weren't really trying to really market towards R&B, but when Rick James made statements in Billboard and other publications stating, it's pretty much like apartheid, where we're at the back of the bus again, and then (laughs) Walter Yetnikoff, head of CBS, called on TV and said, hey, I'm going to pull all my videos from our library if you don't play Michael Jackson, which set ways into the next thing I want to talk about with you. Uh, this year is the 40th anniversary of the classic album Thriller, one of the best albums ever produced, ever made. Clocks in at a little over 74 minutes, and it's only nine tracks. So can we just talk about the impact of that album and how it changed the landscape of making albums and the video itself um, changed how music videos were made? I will gladly talk about Thriller in just a second because it is an incredibly great album, but hot take, not Michael Jackson's best album, in my opinion. That, I believe, belongs to the uh, 1987 fall, uh, which had seven number one singles, including probably my probably his most rockin' tune for sure, Dirty Diana. I love I, I put that on. That's just my taste. But I I love that on top of it. The ballad on on Thriller was uh She's out of my no, it wasn't. Uh, she's out of my life. Uh, it was the one that closed the record. I don't. I, I really don't like that one. I don't even remember what it was. But I will take. I will take. I just can't stop loving you uh, over that one any day. And of course, Smooth Criminal is untouchable. Even Alien Ant Farm couldn't ruin it. And Thriller in and of itself, I it was a phenomenon, and it was something that that had been bubbling for about 14 years everybody knew who michael jackson was off the wall was out of this world it was a great disco record 
And he had done solo records before. He had released that uh, single for a movie about a mouse named Rat. A mouse named Rat. A mouse named Ben. And he, you know, so, I mean, this young man was a pro already. And he and Quincy had already established a really great rapport. And they, when that video for Billy, not for Thriller, but for Billy Jean came out. I think there are very few moments. There are moments in life and moments in music where you can point to, and it's like, okay, the game has changed. MTV was responsible for a lot of that for about, from about 1981 to, eh, let's say 2002. You can point to, point to a video premiering and knowing that the world changed. I would say that happened with Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I definitely would say that would happen with Billie Jean because the look of it, the, just the, the way the art, the art form had evolved in just two years since MTV. I mean, people have been doing promotional films for, for decades. Uh, you know, even, uh, you know, the Beatles did, did a bunch of those and, and every act has done some kind of, some kind of lip sync film, but to have the the cuts and the video edits and the you know the squares that you know were done somewhat ineffectively even up to that point and just how sharp it was and how just the thing about michael jackson and all of his music tight everything about it is just tight and you could see it in in the editing now the ambition you wanted to talk about on the thriller video which is considered the great video time it is a great short film absolutely john landis and his background and and full-length features including probably most relevant to this feature an american werewolf in london he was a master of and building that that horror atmosphere in fact i actually knew one of the dancers in that video a man by the name of mark sellers he had gotten his start in Hollywood at the time as a dance solid gold. And he parlayed that into getting an audition and doing uh, the thriller, vi- doing the thriller video. And he, he talks very highly, not only of uh, Michael, but of John Landis in, in that, hopefully I can get him on the interview uh, someday. I'm in, in Nashville and it's been many, many years since I've spoken to him, but that video always haunted me. I'll tell you that, tell you this story about thriller thriller scared the living hell out of me as a kid. And when I would go over to my grandmother's house. My grandmother had cable TV in the basement. So naturally I'd always try to sneak away from whatever uh, the adults were talking about. And my aunt Sue, who was always a bit of a, a bit of a ball buster. She uh, said to me, uh, she would uh, say to me as I'm going downstairs, Hey Craig, don't go down there. Michael Jackson is waiting for you. And my eyes would get wide as saucers and I'd, and I'd, I'd go, I'd go, I'd go hiding uh, under, under a kitchen table or something. Please my, my, don't let Michael be down there. No, no, no. Uh, so yeah. Thrill, uh, but yeah, thriller, not in my opinion, not my, Michael Jackson's uh, greatest. I wouldn't point to that as his greatest record, but record sales would say otherwise is still the second best selling record of all time. Yeah, and I believe there was a uh, article done at the time. I believe they were saying one out of three homes owned that album. I mean, nine tracks, all of them were pretty much strong records, and it was pretty much take your pick for which one you want to be your lead single. And with that album, Michael was. I would focused. not have led with the girl's mind personally, but 
Mm. Yeah, Michael was solely focused on that album of the pop market, while Off the Wall was a smash album, my personal favorite of his albums. It really was only looked at as an R&B album and really didn't get the pop accolades that Thriller ended up getting. So that was his main focus where it was like, hey, if they think that I'm just going to be in this R&B box, just you wait till I make this mm. album. And the secret sauce for that Thriller album that I think a lot of music heads know who he is, know the band that he came out of, but general public may not know, uh, the late, great Rod Temperton, uh, who was in the band Heatwave. Okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that uh, part of it. But yeah, I, I, well, I think you look at a lot of the great artists and you can't especially back then it really comes down to not just merely their vision but finding somebody to help execute that vision i think uh janet jackson found it uh you know to uh she was on her third when she found when she released control three years later she found that in uh jam and funk i think def leppard found that when they uh started collaborating with uh mutt lang and among many others can say that from Brian Adams to ACDC to Shania Twain can say that about Mutt Lang. Uh, and with Michael Jackson, that was Quincy Jones. And Quincy Jones, who had a, a long and fruitful career, uh, you know, it is true. The movie Ray is true. He basically got to start uh, rubbing shoulders with guys like Ray Charles. And he built his way into being a composer. He had worked with Sinatra already up to that point. And then along comes Michael. And it was not merely a revival for Quincy Jones, who had already a stellar career at that point. It was his crowning achievement, I think. And, uh, you know, I think it, when you, so Michael Jackson, for as much uh, as he changed the world with his songs and his voice and his dancing, you got, I think, Thriller is a, is a, is a two man credit job. You got to say Michael, of course, but Quincy Jones and that sound that he helped facilitate definitely deserves much, much, much of the credit. And I, and he does, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I want to switch gears for a minute. Uh, do you remember during this time when uh, certain acts, they would do alternative music videos where they'll have, two videos for the same song but one for let's say the pop market and one for the r&b market where you only saw like a certain video on like let's say bet but then when you turn to mtv the video will be completely different for the same song do you remember well i can say not specifically for that era but yeah i've seen i've seen several artists that have done different versions of videos. I remember uh, Weezer back in 2002 did a version, uh, a release a version for the song "Sun in the Sun," that was basically based on a wedding uh, scenario uh, concept video. And then they released another one where they were just out in a safari playing with the lion cubs, basically. So, you know, I think I don't, I don't know if it's. Uh, as far as releasing like remixes and stuff like that, that's not, I don't think that's, that's uncommon. And, and, and it's a matter of, and matters of, of reaching markets. I was talking about this. Um, I'm, the uh, interview hasn't aired yet, but I was talking to an R and B artist uh, by the name of Annie May, who calls herself the Neo soul songstress. 
and she and I got to talking uh, just about how because she's in a she she's in uh, what's called she calls her band uh, the Rhythm of the Night Fusion Band, and I think kind of back going back to the point that we made earlier is that we are seeing more and more that our music is music has blended so much that genre it doesn't really it still exists and you know it certainly is something that record companies and and people who put playlists together are, are certainly looking for something that is easily defined but as an artist it's i always kind of i kind of puzzles me why people try so hard to I talked about Shania Twain earlier when she released uh, the Up record in the early part of the 2000s. She released, uh, I believe it was a green and a red record. Uh, I can't remember which was which, but the other one was meant for country radio. The other was meant for pop radio. And even listening it back to back, uh, I still find myself thinking, why did you have to go through all, all that trouble? And then then I had to remind myself, oh, yeah, anytime my dad, for example, anytime he hears distorted guitars, it's a complete turnoff. And I've known enough people that have heard twanging guitars, and that's a turnoff, too. So I get why 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 people strain to uh, strain to reach an audience. But uh, I for, for me, I for me as an artist, I hope that if uh, somebody here's uh, me going in a in a completely different direction it wouldn't be jarring or surprise or even a turnoff but it's art and it's subjective so i have no control over that and you know i i try personally just to make the, be the best music possible and if people you know want to go to that length to to, to get everybody involved i i, I you know it, the cynical part of me wants to wants to say wants to say all the things i could say but at the same time hey you know Hey, bring everybody to the party any way you can, pal. Good for you. Yeah, and with country, it's not your grandparents' country anymore. It's pretty oh, much, no. like you stated earlier, the blurring of lines between different genres. You have pop, R&B, rap, and how when I looked at country music growing up, I thought it was three chords, the truth, Garth Brooks, Conway Twitty, Merle mm -hmm. Haggard. Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton, that traditional country. But now you wouldn't even know that a current country record sounds like a pop record. So what is your take on country becoming more modernized and is pretty much, in my opinion, basically Southern Fried Pop? That is a great label for it. I can, I totally can see that. And I, I, really might might start uh, describing that myself um i completely and totally agree i think you talk about garth brooks the sentiment about country music blending in they always were they've always were behind when it comes to that and when they try to come and when they try to come back it is often jarring um and when it's done right it is it, it, it's beautifully done now i am of the opinion that there are only two kinds of music good and bad and it, it's funny you mentioned garth brooks he i mean he wanted to go a completely different direction out of his music so much so that he had to change his name and put on a wig chris so Gaines. chris Gaines, yeah and it, and that was honestly a really solid record and i i i feel you know, I don't. I, I can never feel bad for a billionaire, but 
you know, as an artist, I feel like it's like, did you really have to go that far? These are some good, good, solid songs, you know, and maybe you didn't have, maybe you could have just, you know, started like a, a side project or something. You didn't have to, you know, make a movie and, you know, dress like that. And, <laughs> but I, you know, but as far as how, as how it's blend guys, like, you know, Kane Brown immediately comes to mind. I do like, I do like his, I do like his stuff. What if uh, is, is I think I think is a great song, and you know you know Florida Georgia Line you can you know they they're they're the easy target because they're 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 the they're the big uh they're the big dogs but you know uh you know Round Here is a is a, is a fun little uh fun little song that I really do enjoy, and the and I heard it enough from old men yelling at clouds who weren't even really that old I'm talking guys like in their twenties saying you know. Well, that isn't country. That isn't that isn't uh, no. That really isn't country. And I think I've said this before on this show. You know, country hasn't really been country since the Carter family, since Roy Acuff, since Jimmy Rogers. So if you really want old country, well, then stay stay in that lane and you know join join us when you get some perspective. You know, it's you know music is it's art. It's going to blend into because artists tend to not like one thing and one thing only their reference is not just one thing it is not just one place and if it was you know it, it hope it's still gonna affect somebody else later down the road and that's gonna get blended into so you know i you know you're stop you're trying to stop the tide at, at some points and you know you know shoot me if, if if ever i say say the phrase is my music was better as 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 a kid um because i i still think that there is a lot out there that is interesting and experimental i saw a great band when i was in nashville the 1975 at the uh, municipal auditorium they put on a great show and it is you know Yes, a lot of their music, they've been accused of kind of being stuck in the 80s as far as their synth sound, but they really take a lot of chances and they really do a lot of stuff with with atmosphere and just a lot of really just great catchy songs and and their stage show was really really impressive. If you have if you, if you can catch a show of them on tour, I highly recommend that you do. And you can always if you're of, of a mind like me you can always get you can always enjoy it and you can always get something out of it and and, and as you can see on country radio it you know the it, it it was it was shocking when people were blending in stuff from that sounded like the eagles uh in the mid 90s and the early 2000s well that ain't that ain't johnny cash well johnny cash started on a on a memphis memphis rock and roll label let's never forget that so yeah, I, yeah. Stop trying. Stop trying to push the tide. You ain't that strong. Right. I definitely agree with that. And on a sidebar, if you have not gone to Nashville to take a tour of the Grand Ole Opry, I suggest you do so. You will not be disappointed to hear about the history, the legacy of the Opry, what it means to country music, and how you know it is akin to what the Apollo Theater is for the R&B scene. The Opry is that. For country, so I would definitely recommend taking a tour of the Opry and going to check out a show uh, if you're ever in the Nashville area. And I believe also the African American Music. Say hi to my friends for me <laughs> as well. And what I want to go into now is you mentioned 
80 synth sounds with uh, the 1975. Um, what is your take on Duran Duran finally getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Ah, I I like Duran Duran. I do too. And I think they are really one of the most underrated bands. I mean, I'm glad they're finally getting their due in the eyes of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But I think for the for the early 80s and uh, they were so big on fashion i think a lot of the complaint that eddie trunk at the very least was complaining about for the elongated absence of kiss in the rock and roll hall of fame was that kiss was pop culture they were they were comic books they were cartoons they were their their name was basically strapped on everything they were the hottest band in the land and that wasn't just a just a brand name as it eventually became with Duran Duran, you can certainly make the argument that, you know, uh, you know, Hungry Like the Wolf was a top 10. Rio was a top 10. A View to a Kill from the that, that was the only good thing about that Bond movie was that theme song. And he, Simon LeBond, John Taylor and the like. I mean, Taylor is is if you listen to his stuff with the power station, one of the best bass players of his era of any era i mean he just that just that tone that he had it was kind of you know it was kind of verby it was kind of kind of coursey it was kind of a bass guitar kind of like what john entwistle who was doing but it had just a a lot talk about secret sauce i say that bass was the secret sauce of that band otherwise it would have been you know just another uh band that i like but i will use them as, as an inferior version a flock of seagulls so you know they i think we're just i think it's really great to see that finally getting it getting its due i mean it, i think the rock and roll hall of fame and just rock critics in general they they tend to deify anybody that wasn't from the zeitgeist and i and i appreciate that sentiment i think that a lot of people that have a platform that have influence should give in should give credence and volume to people that aren't getting a lot of attention. And I, I, I applaud that. And if, uh, if any of them are listening and like my stuff, help me. But <laughs> the thing about Duran Duran, it's something that I think we've seen with kiss, as I mentioned with journey. Um, I think, you know, people kind of get sick of people that are, that are really, really popular at the time. But I think as time goes back and we look back, it's like, you know what? Yeah, they're really great. And I think that's what's at play here with Duran Duran and bravo to Simon and the boys for sure. Yeah, definitely glad that he finally got in. And there's plenty of other acts that's on the wait to get in. And we all know that a lot of behind the scenes stuff takes place with people having votes and things of that nature. So hopefully they can be able to have some of those acts waiting at the doorstep to finally get in and get their due. Uh, you mentioned Smells Like Teen Spirit and Nirvana and how mm -hmm. 92, I think that was one of the best years in pop, but also one of the most seminal because before Teen Spirit, it was very pop, dance, R&B heavy. New Kids on the Block was still at the height of their career, but once Nirvana came out, that was when the pop sound shifted and eyes were looking towards the Pacific Northwest. Pretty much all the grunge acts that were coming out of sub pop and all of the different labels yeah. out there, certainly Geffen 
AM, MCA, insert big name record label here, were saying, hmm, we got to find the next Nirvana. Yeah. Well, I think that Nirvana, you know, there, there are very few bands that, that changed the world, really. You know, the Beatles, definitely, the Beatles, Elvis, and Nirvana. I think you can, you can point to them. And if you want to make arguments on who really took over the 70s, Sabbath, you know, Zeppelin, uh, and in the eighties, maybe Van Halen, I would definitely argue Van Halen, but Nirvana, you know, something that seismic, something that overnight, it all of a sudden, it seemed like everything in January was dead by December. Uh, you talk about 91, uh, warrant uh who i think is one of the most underrated and another band that i think with the distance of time you can really look back on dirty rotten filthy stinking rich uh cherry pie which should have been uncle tom's cabin and dog eat dog those three records i think you can stand them up against some of the best rock and roll of uh that particular era but the world changed and and in the wake, you know, bands like Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Allison Chains, they came in and they really just, you know, spoke to an angst and spoke to an anger that I think every teenage boy, every teenager really has that I think had been touched upon. I mean, you know, the animals came out with We Gotta Get Out of This Place back in back in the 60s. And that's probably the most angsty songs uh, that I that I've ever heard in my life, and it was but a little bit more groovy. This was just ah, you know, just just such such anger and I I would say ironic, cynical eye rolling that that only a, only a teenager of a certain attitude can pull off. And Cobain nailed it. And I you know I I'm more of a fan of uh, In Utero myself and the unplugged record uh, that they released shortly before uh, Cobain committed suicide is one of the most haunting um, performances you could ever hear, especially in that context. And I can't deny enough that the, that, that band um, and I, and I, and my heart really goes out to Dave Grohl, who, who not only went through that, but also went through losing uh, his friend and drummer uh, of the Foo Fighters, Taro Hawkins. Rest in peace. So, um, he uh you know i mean that uh and uh, and i credit him for anytime i've seen him in in interviews that he still remains uh just such a such a positive survivor in rock and roll i don't think people say that enough about dave uh, dave Grohl. that man's a survivor and god bless him for it yeah and how we would have known that he would go from drummer of one of the most seminal groups in music history to being the front man of another band that had a big impact in music because I can remember seeing the Big Me video and yeah. just cracking up like crazy because they were spoofing the Mentos commercials yes. at the time and how they never took themselves too seriously. Foo Fighters. Two things about the uh, the Foo Fighters, starting with the Big Me video. When the video came out, they actually, they, the Foo Fighters, had to stop doing that song live because people were throwing Mento uh at the stage and if you've ever had if you've ever had a mento a mento is a is a mint it is a candy 
with a hard shell. It's about the size of a quarter. So you're getting so you're getting pelted by by pebbles basically from very well-meaning rock and roll fans and most rock and roll fans of the show do not mean well. And <laughs> I I'm serious. But uh the other thing, uh Dave Grohl when he put first put out that uh first Foo Fighters records, the first Foo Fighters records was actually Dave playing all the instruments on there so it was basically just his uh uh side project thinking that you know nirvana was going to do another record and keep keep on going on and he remembers uh, in several interviews he recalls kurt cobain actually kissing him after hearing uh stuff like big me off of that first record so uh, i have fond mem- i have fond memories i wouldn't i wouldn't call myself i i i, appre- I appreciate the uh the foo fighters i like a lot of their songs i'm i'm not it's not it's not a go-to it's probably just because it's you know it's always on you know it's always on so why do i have to turn it on Mm -hmm. yeah and do you think that it is funny now seeing how you know acts like the bashy boys is looked at in the same vein of you know how you know we looked at new kids on the block back in the day because we were too young to really understand the height of new kids we saw it but not like how it was during the height of Bastard boys and instinct where we were of age and able to see the full phenomenon full tilt because i mean you now see Bastard boys you know doing a commercial for tide and how <laughs> you know i went to check out their show a couple of months ago in albuquerque and they still sound great and, you know, we want to send our love and condolences out to Nick Carter, who just recently lost his yeah. brother, Aaron, you know, so definitely. I got a, um, I got a few friends who knew Aaron family. and uh, yeah. that, it, what a, what a shame, what a shame. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your take on that whole 90s, early 2000s teen pop phenomenon and looking at it 20 plus years later and how it's looked at with such fondness and such love and joy. In the middle of it there, it always felt like we were pitted against each other. You know, you either had to be a fan of uh, this band, you had to be a fan of this one. And even if you're sitting next to uh, me, a fan of Blink-182 and Limp Biscuit, I don't say that with much shame because the only, there was only one thing wrong with Limp Biscuit. And sitting next to my sister who had uh, posters of Lance Bass on her ceiling, uh, watching, watching the same show and, you know, and secretly loving that group for sure. Uh, as I've gotten older, I think somebody, I want to say it was a cracked sketch uh, or some comedian. I can't quote who it was, but uh, when you get to a certain age and you're having strong opinions about boy groups, maybe they're not your, maybe the problem is you. Uh, Cause that's what they are. They, they, they're, they are, Maybe not in, in the case of NSYNC, they weren't uh, record industry or agent creations. They were actually a group that found each other. They are guys who are going to sing songs that record companies want to sell songs with, you know, pop songs, sugar, you know, you know not, nothing wrong with a little sugar, you know, basing your diet around, around it might cause you problems, but nothing wrong with a little bit of sugar. And the thing about those those groups and the distance of time looking back, maybe not that way, but 
show me the meaning of being lonely show um shape of my heart most of black and blue their third record i think really they really started to go deeper than just the formula to the backstreet boys and they really started to get into some more risque stuff i mean the call the freaking call you know uh you know something a little bit more uh more risque and because let's be honest the first two records uh the self-titled and the millennium that was a lot of ooh baby ooh baby ooh girl ooh girl and uh you know as long as you love me and the stuff that basically uh help solidify max martin's uh takeover of the music industry for about the the, the preceding 20 years and now well, i would say music's better for, for I, I mean if he if he walked into my house right now i wouldn't know who he was but i do i his sound and his and his uh composition his production style is unmistakable and uh overarching so like when you hear He's he's written you know random songs like we are never getting back together with Taylor Swift. It's like oh yeah that is him, isn't it? So and and his touch is his touch is one is as broad as it is wonderful. And yeah, I think uh, the the hatred I think was overblown. And I think you know, I I tend to roll my eyes whenever anybody says that the media uh, you know stirs shit pardon me stir stuff up uh on uh on a whole bunch uh, a bunch of stuff uh on this one yeah i I think i think that a lot of the uh, a lot of the hatred between uh between scenes if you will that was manufactured just so people would put eyeballs on a thing and have something to fill up uh, time in between uh deodorant commercials so yeah so i but yeah yeah, i think anybody anybody who still harbors a hatred for uh, for that kind of music uh you know just uh, have a cup of coffee and a smoke and shut up (laughs) so or better yet have a coke and a smile have a coke and a smile exactly but they'll have coke and a smile shut the hell up (laughs) yeah and um you know the funny thing about you know that genre why it's specifically targeted towards you know the teen girl market exactly you you know guys hated them because you secretly probably wanted to beat them because it was easy access because i mean if you look at now whenever new kids I the bye 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 dance for that reason alone yeah so. so whenever new kids do a concert or they have their cruise ship you still have moms daughters probably granddaughters all on the ship and just loving every last minute of it i had a chance to see them live in las vegas a couple years ago on their mixtape tour they still are selling out and moms are reliving the glory days of you know the height of their phenomenon because if you look at you know new kids on the block obviously you know coming from the same tree of new edition put together by maurice star who said i want to create a pop counterpart at to new edition how initially new kids were marketed as an r&b act they did an alternate video of Please Don't Go Girl that you only saw on BET or on oh, wow. other stations that played only R&B. This was before Pop got wind of them. And then, as we all know, that was when everything changed for them and they became huge phenomenon. They ended up splitting in 94, coming back together in 08, and they've been rocking and rolling ever since. Yeah, I mean, and 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 just back to the overall point, I think a lot of us guys didn't really like it because exactly the music wasn't made for us, and it really is. I mean, if anybody who, you know, has hatred for uh, BSK or anybody that's at any of the uh, K-pop acts, you know, 
that that stuff is made for teenagers. That stuff isn't made for guys like me and guys like you. It, uh, and but as a musician and you as a, as a fan of music, it, it you can still get something out of it if you if you really you know close your eyes and just relax a little bit. And if you if you say it's not for you, it's not for you. It doesn't mean you need to need to say. I mean, there are me there are forms of music out there that you know, can be harmful. There are some lyrical content that can be uh, a message that uh, disturbed people shouldn't hear, but a uh, uh, little, little pop songs about, uh, about uh, young love. Uh, that, that That's not that there, there are more harmful messages out there than that. Give me a break. Yeah. There's room for that. And I want you to talk about the impact of, Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys and how it's revered as one of the best albums ever made. Like we were talking about Thriller earlier, it's up there with Thriller and also uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band by the Beatles, which I believe Brian Wilson stated, hey, I want to create our own version of Sgt. Pepper's. Actually, it was other way around. Ah. Uh, Paul McCartney uh, said that they heard Pet Sounds and that really opened them up to do rubber soul, which begat revolver, which begat Sergeant Pepper, which everything uh, in the latter half of their career, which is their most revered stuff is inspired by pet sounds. Now I said, thriller, the hype is a little bit overblown with that record. Now pet sound deserves all of the hype that, that you can possibly muster. And I mean, this is a group that, you know, made it that really built towards something. I, I always say that my favorite records are the records that are the ones before the big artistic explosion. Cause you can actually see they're about to jump off and do something really, really interesting. And it's amazing how the, you can see the transition rubber soul from the Beatles immediately comes to mind. Turnstiles by Billy Joel comes to mind immediately. Even uh, Van Halen's 1984, um, you know, they were transitioning out of out of a singer and they had a had a whole new transition that I mean, not my favorite Van Halen album, but I use it as, an, as an example. So with pet with pet sounds, it what it they the what it transitioned to my point being was was the most amazing thing when you think these ba- these guys were, you know, just doing you know, really singles. And yeah, they were going, you know, deep and introspective on a lot of songs like in my room, Wendy, even Surfer Girl, which was which was a pop ballad, but had these really just beautiful transitions into sevenths and minor chords. It's a it's a you know it's it's basically an old old pop standard that maybe uh maybe Sinatra or Perry Como or Rosemary Clooney, who uh, Brian Wilson has listed as an influence. So the it, it is. Every great studio trick, any producer that I brought this album up to, any producer that I met in Nashville or anywhere really, say that they use little tricks that Brian Wilson kind of perfected uh, on that record. And the backing band that he wound up using just like this murderer's row of session musicians out in uh, Los Angeles and still using the boys uh, on harmonies and stuff like that, you know, Songs like Wouldn't It Be Nice, Sloop, John B., and a song that uh, is uh, still my mother's favorite, and I often think about it and think how true it is, God Only Knows What I'd Be Without You. So great yeah. great record, great record. I, yeah. I need to get it on vinyl. So. Yeah, definitely a great album. And another musician that 
It's known for work ethic and just putting out qualities of albums. And then he had enough in the chamber to where I'm going to put theater acts in place to do the records that I wanted to do, but I don't have enough time to do it. So here, you guys do it. I mean, Prince was a mm. bad boy. <laughs> I mean, to do your own stuff and to create stuff for the time, Morris Day and the Time, Wendy yeah. Six, later became Apollonia Six, mm -hmm. uh, The Family, Maserati. Uh, we could go on and on all the affiliated Just the stuff acts. he wrote under the name Christopher Goodnight, for crying out loud. Alex uh, I think he used uh, Jamie Starr. Uh, Alexander Nevermind. He had a bunch of different aliases, but let's just talk about the genius that yeah. was Prince. Uh, Prince to me was some that's another one that I really didn't know what I had until it was gone. You know, I knew about all the stuff that he had written for other artists, Nothing Compares to You, which was a number one for Sinead O'Connor. Um, I remember hearing uh, Alicia Keys, um, Songs in A minor, Alicia Keys' debut record is always going to hold a special place in my heart because, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, not uh, that that record is just, you know, that that slow dance, at, that slow dance at middle school and just, you know, red, red wine and candles for the first time, you know, and how come you don't call me anymore? She did a version of that uh, on on that record. I think that was track three or four. And she. You know, Alicia's phenomenal, but uh, for Prince, you know, he was, you talk about the amount, the amalgamation that, you know, me as an artist, I would love to do. And Prince did it. He was R&B. He could do blues. He could rock. He could be funky. He could dance. He could do that. He was a very, he was a rather, a rather pint-sized, but total package. He, I mean, he was, he was incredible. And you go back and you watch, I go back and watch Under the Cherry Moon and I go back and watch a lot of his music videos and even catching some of his later stuff. Uh, he is just, I, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be, he probably would probably scrape my top 20 nowadays that I listen to him, but I do have to admit, as far if you want the perfect musician and the perfect performer and perfect producer and songwriter, I don't think you're going to get much better or closer than Prince. Yeah, because definitely Prince took the lessons of those that came before him, like the Little Richards, the James Browns, yeah. uh, Sly, Jimi Hendrix, Sly and the Family Stone, and just was a meshing of all of that and just updated it. And he was just a dynamo you knew you were going to get your money's mm -hmm. worth when you saw him perform live and then like i said earlier just think about all of the acts that came from the prince tree and how if it wasn't for prince no more's day no jimmy jam terry lewis mm -hmm. no alexander no alexander o'neill uh, the list goes on and on. And on a sidebar real quick, check out the Showtime documentary, Nothing Compares, about Sinead O'Connor. Definitely mm. very great documentary. I had a chance to see that uh, when it was premiered at the Tribeca Film I really liked her Film first Festival. record. You know, the, the Emperor's New Clothes is basically just two chords, but uh, wow, what 
uh, what things she did with Melody and and just just a really catchy uh, little little tune from her for sure. Yeah, I just have a stronger appreciation for her now after seeing that documentary and how she stood on her morals and wasn't going to play the pop game once nothing compares to you became an international smash and mm. she was like no i'm going to speak out on these injustices whether you like it or not and pop success i could care less of uh, she said in her uh, behind the music video i never wanted to be a pop singer thank you very much i wanted to be a protest singer and she did it she's done it very well i would say Right, I definitely agree with that. And one last thing I want to talk about with you before uh, we get on out of here is how I believe next year rap is going to turn 50 years old Mm. and how it started out as a way for young black and brown kids in the inner cities, primarily of New York, to make something out of nothing. You had Rapper's Delight, which was put out on Sugar Hill Records, which mm-hmm. was headed by Sylvia Robinson, uh, who just got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and how big it was for a Black woman at that time to head a label, to put out a genre of music commercially to change the world. So what is your take on rap turning 50 and how it is now the most beloved dominant music genre in history and to think it all started out in the streets and people thought it was going to go the way of disco. Well, uh, as a, uh, as a honky from the suburbs, I will say that it is amazing how this subculture that it was when I really started paying attention, when I first heard of MC hammer, when I first heard of Dr. Dre, when I first heard of, even up to that point, uh, hearing uh, hearing Eminem when I was uh, thirteen and heard, uh, you know, my name is that it was still a dangerous subculture. You know, you know, it, not not you know, not not saying that you know because you know it's it's a predominantly black culture, but the subject matter, you know, you know, gang violence and drug use and you know. Uh, promiscuity uh on on the ends of it which permutates all music really when you think about it uh, anytime you hear about uh about gunslingers in the old west and country songs well what were they in they were in gangs mostly and they were shooting people and that and there's still glorification there so yeah away away with me on 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 uh you know uh, shocking subjects and stuff like that it's amazing time marches on and as it, it hits fifty, it hits fifty. It is still the music of youth, and it is still the music of bravado, and it still carries that um, edginess that is, you know, so prevalent. Because you know, we were teenagers; we're always on edge. Of course, it's going to carry some edge, and it's real fast. I like. Uh, I mean, I like a lot of uh, a lot of artists that uh, come out. I mean, uh, say what you will about uh, Takashi, he did put out a good song or two. Um, you know, I th- I think uh, you can uh, really, as you know, we've gone through the decades and seeing that Nicki Minaj still uh, is is in the mix on things. Um, you can really say I, I think uh, there was a uh, a great YouTube channel uh, that I like to watch, uh, FD Signifier, who has uh, said that we need to make a really great argument that Nicki Minaj is the greatest of all time. She is in fact the goat. And I am very inclined to agree with that man on that subject. Cause if you see the rise of 
Doja Cat and Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion, whom I adore, you know, we had, you know, seeing that sea change for, for women more than ever in hip hop. Yeah. You had Queen Latifah. Yeah. You had Nene Cherry back in the day, but nothing like this. And it is, is, it is such a wonderful, you know, there are faulty mutations in, in, in everything, but I think the one thing that, that hip hop has gotten right a lot finally some some female representation on on the side especially with the the women that i mentioned for sure and i think uh you know so what a way it has come not just in the players in the hip-hop game but just how the sounds have changed how many how many different things kind of get blended in and how it has affected everything else around it too i mentioned limp biscuit later on uh, earlier on in bands that are bands in its periphery your lincoln parks pod's um you know and and there's raging against the machine you know bands that are and we're we're feeling that influence uh, on top of that you know I, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason jay mace i believe that there's a reason that everything happens and everything that and we as a individual and as society is the sum total of those decisions and whether it is for better or for worse is up is up to you tomorrow so mm-hmm. Both- and, and that and 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 it's and it's wonderful to see that that rap has stuck around and has continued to have its influence for sure yeah well said hip-hop can't stop won't stop to the bang bang boogie up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie wave your hands in the air like you just don't care yep true that and uh big ups to eminem for getting death into the rock and roll hall of fame absolutely as well definitely happy about that and the thing when hip-hop started you got believe two billionaires in hip-hop and jay-z and dr dre mm-hmm. and you know it's just crazy how you know biggie said it best Remember rapping Duke, the ha, the ha. You never thought the hip hop would take it this far. So, who would have mm-hmm. thought? Who would have thought? So, let's talk Super about Nintendo Jaggy Sega Genesis. <laughs> when I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. <laughs> great, great record. Rest in peace, Biggie. So, Indeed. let's talk about current projects that you have. Any shout outs you want to give before we wrap and also plug your socials? All right. Well, uh, my new music video for Making Noise on Music Row is now available on my new YouTube channel at Craig Veltry Music. Uh, Jay Mace, I do believe you'll be kind enough to put a link for that music video later on in the, in the post edit in the description down below. Please blow it up and make me a little noise for Making Noise on Music Row. My new single is Wander and I. That is available on Spotify, YouTube Music, Apple Music, Amazon Music. I heard Napster is still a thing and it actually gives out the most uh, royalties per stream. It's kind of finding out, like, not only did Tony Montana survive, he opened a pharmacy. It's really weird. And so check me out on all of those social media. CraigVeltry.com is where you can find all of my performance dates. You can find me at on my podcast. You can follow that through the Craig Veltry interview on Facebook. You can follow the Veltry interview on Twitter for all things Craig Veltry. You can find me at Craig Veltry official on Facebook and you can find me on my Instagram or as my old roommate, the Tommy Thomas used to call it Instagirl at Craig dot Veltry. All right. And the Craig Veltry interview airs every Thursday night, 6 PM Eastern 5 PM central on Scarfire radio. That's at scarfireradio.net. All right, you can catch this interview wherever you stream podcasts on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover, and stay updated with all things related to the podcast at facebook.com slash beyond the album cover. Ladies and gentlemen, 
give a big round of applause and thank you to my brother from another mother, Craig Belcher, for coming on. Craig, thank you once again, my brother. An absolute pleasure, Jay Mace. Be well, my friend. Yes, sir.